This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti-Heroes Podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Anti-Heroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Again, that's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work and we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. Heroes podcast with your host Zach Blair. I am the aforementioned Zach Blair. Hi, how are you? Uh, first of all, I want to start by saying thank you guys so much for listening. I'm getting such great feedback about this. It's overwhelming because I really, really, really love doing this. I love that I have a place to do it. I love that you guys are listening. And I love that I'm meeting new people. I love that I'm meeting uh, new musicians and guitar players and people that I've respected for a long time and never met. And today, is exactly that. Today, our guest is Cody Vadolato. Now, if you don't know, Cody Vadolato had the band Blood Brothers, which uh, in the aughts were sort of ubiquitous. If you were into aggressive punk rock music, you were going to be a Blood Brothers fan. Uh, a lot of bands influenced by them. A lot of bands started because of them. And then he starts doing a band called Head Wound City with two guys from... Um, the Locust and Nick Zinner from Yeah Yeah Yes. And now he has a solo record of sorts. He calls it JR Slayer. And it is completely different than the other things he's done. And we get all into that and we talk about that. So I will quit yapping right here and let's get into my interview with Cody Vadolato. Hey, Cody. Hey, man. How are you? How you doing? Really good. Really, really good. First of all, thanks for doing this. Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to talk a bunch of guitar shit. And I've, I've already done an intro, but you know, in the aughts, when your band Blood Brothers sort of started playing and doing everything you did, 
I mean, it was all everybody talked about. It's all I heard about. Huh. And I think I saw you guys the first time on the Henry Rollins show, the thing he had on IFC. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. I thought it was great. And then, you know, of course, Headwind City and everything started. And now you have J.R. Slayer and we'll get into all that. Mm-hmm. But I guess so. I want to start with like, how did you start playing guitar? You also have a brother that does this like I do. Yeah, Rocky. Yeah, Rocky, uh, who we have so many mutual friends and Tim McElrath and uh, those guys that toured together and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, did he sort of have a hand in you getting into it or what, what happened there? Yeah. So, well, first of all, we grew up in Texas. So I lived in Texas until I was about 10 and my folks split and my mom remarried and my stepfather worked for Boeing in Seattle. So we made the long trek up in a, you know, an old van and a U-Haul truck from, we, we ended up living in Houston, Texas for a couple of years before we left the Dallas area. Um, and then went up to Seattle and this is quite a culture change. I was, yeah, I'll say I was seven or eight when we moved and, um, kind of got inserted into the Seattle culture and yeah, fully Rocky. And we have an older brother, Sonny that also played music. And I just really, I saw him playing guitar. There were guitars around the house. And at a young age, I was always kind of fiddling with it. I mean, I played football and then I sort of got into literally like peewee football. And then I, I got obsessed with skateboarding and things of that nature. And then eventually I remember coming home from, a football practice in my football pads and Rocky at the time had sort of gotten immersed into like the punk scene in Seattle and things like that. And him and his best friend were listening to, they had two CDs. They had drive like Jay who's yank crime and 24 hour revenge therapy by jawbreaker. And they were listening to him. And I, I don't know what it was, but I just like, you know, there was that sort of, I'm tagging along with my older brother type thing. Sure. But it also, it was the first time I really like felt something different when I was listening to music because I had heard like Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana and Pearl Jam, of course, but I was still pretty young. So those things were very prevalent. But when I heard those records, I think things, I at least like try to remember it this way. That's kind of where like my shift in interest in music changed and i would kind of noodle on guitar i think the only thing i could play was like today right. the intro guitar live which i'll still play to this day um of and so i really wanted to play and rocky and sunny played and i was obsessed and i was playing their guitars all the time and you know my parents they one christmas bought me like a really cheap acoustic guitar Cause it's definitely one of those things. Like we didn't have a lot of money and you never know if the kid's going to play it. So why invest in something super, super nice? Right. I knew immediately. I never touched the thing. I was like, it was a Honer acoustic guitar. It just, it wasn't a great guitar. And somehow I knew even as a kid who didn't know how to play that I didn't like it. And so I just kept playing my brother's applause acoustic. And then Sonny had, um, he had like a custom Les Paul that, I think was at one point our uncle's uh, that was a very nice guitar. And then Uh that was sort of my introduction to guitar. Uh, And Rocky just kind of showed me, I didn't take lessons or anything. So he would show me chords and I just pretty much was self-taught after that. It's so important to have an, an older sibling, an older person, an older, you know, uh, like a sort of a Sherpa, you know, that sort of guides you through and goes, no, this is where you need to go. And this is what you need to listen to. And what, 
two two takeaways there from what you just said. A, what great records to sort of indoctrinate you into <laughs> this wonderful thing that we all do. Yeah, for sure. Yank Crime is amazing and 24-hour revenge therapy is also unbelievable. And also, man, congratulations on getting out of Texas because I never did. Huh. And, and I'll tell you, you know, it does put sort of 10 steps ahead of your journey Mm-hmm. just getting out of Texas. And for me, I never got out, but I got out of my shitty little podunk town and got to Dallas and got to Austin and things like that. But that was really hard. And if I had just started in a Seattle or in, you know, a New York or, you know, wherever, uh, a place that had a fucking culture and an art scene or whatever, it would have benefited me so much. So congratulations. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you bring that up because the place that we were from is a town called Frost, Texas. And oh, I know Frost, Texas. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's a, it's a 400 population hasn't changed much. Shit. Uh, there, you know, there was no real leaving. Our father was, you know, president of an MC in Dallas. Oh, and, wow. You know, it was kind of like the... What what MC then? The Scorpions. No shit. Yeah, like in the 80s, you know, he was in it and... My dad was a biker. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and, and Sherman, there was the Banshees. And then there's the Vagos, and then there's, you know, of course, the... I mean, I, that's, that's crazy. Okay, well... Yeah, and so through like a turn of events a tornado hits our house in frost while i'm playing a t-ball game and we end up sort of relocating and meanwhile somehow my mom managed to leave get us out of that situation Uh, we moved up to houston and lived with her sister for a while and then in that process she met my stepfather and then we ended up going up to seattle it's crazy because i think about what our lives would have been. I really don't think I would have had the story that you had uh, based on just kind of the way other people have. No one's really left Frost, Texas for the most part. That I mean, at least that I know about that. That could be unfair a little bit, but because I have lost touch. But, you know, Buck Owens is from Sherman, Texas. Mm-hmm. There's a metal band that actually plays around now called THC that are from Sherman, Texas. And there's a hardcore band from Sherman, Texas, uh, Kublai Khan. And which is bananas. It blows my mind because no one is same deal. No one gets out of Sherman. Um, mm-hmm. But that is such a Texas thing that your house <laughs> got hit by a tornado. and demolished. I know so many people whose houses got demolished by tornado. It's crazy. Definitely like this. The I was very young, but still probably one of the scariest things in my life was coming home to find your, you know, because our, our house was a trailer that was modified with house around it on some acreage and you know, seven dogs and that's very Texas. It was a very, very scary situation for, for everyone. But it also was, it was the sort of turning point in all of our lives that kind of led us to Seattle and, you know, all the great things that have, have happened to us from, from that one thing happening. So, yeah, it's amazing. And, and, and it's such a lucky turn of events because you didn't want to grow up in Frost, Texas. You didn't want to grow up in Houston, Texas. I mean, no, no. No disrespect to, to peeps in Houston, but I'm happy that I, I made it out and got to Seattle. <laughs> no, man. I mean, as a lifelong Texan, I'm telling you, you, you did good. You know, because like, it does make it a little hard. It doesn't make it harder. I mean, there is a scene happening now in the bigger cities, but if you're a kid from a small town, good luck, man. Good fucking luck. So you started playing guitar then. Your brothers helped you out. What was like the first guitar that you got on your own that you sort of fell in love with and kind of purchased yourself? Yeah. So the first guitar that I ended up with was, I don't know if you remember, there was a band called Sharks Keep Moving. 
I remember the name. From Seattle. And members of that band went on to be in Minus the Bear. Okay. And things of that nature. But um, I know Aaron from Minus the Bear. Yeah. So Jake Snyder was in a band called Sharks Keep Moving, the singer from Minus the Bear. And before that, he was in a band called State Route 522. And him and Rocky were friends. And he was one of the guys that could record music. Like he recorded all the early Waxwing stuff and all the early Blood Brothers stuff. But he had this band, State Route 522, and there was another guy in the band, Nate Turpin, and he had this white Les Paul knockoff. It, it was called a Seville, and he had modified it where he took the bridge pickup out and ripped out all of the knobs so that it was just the, the pickup in the back. What's it called? I'm an idiot. The bridge. Yeah. <laughs> the one that's it's brighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. And, and he had ripped all that out, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I obviously was so much younger, and I would go see them play, and and he sold it to me for probably like seventy-five or a hundred dollars. I don't remember, but I I played that thing for many years, like all of my first bands and all that stuff. And then I didn't. The next like real guitar that I got was an Epiphone Cherry SG, which you know I think I think is the dream of all little kids to play an SG. <laughs> I had one. Yeah, you got to do it. Did that guitar? Is that what led you into Blood Brothers? Or by the time you you graduated on before that. Um, I had it actually, you know, to be honest, when the blood brothers started, I played the bass guitar. I wasn't even the guitar player in the band. Oh yeah. Okay. We had a different guitar player, Devin Welch and everyone in the blood brothers had another band called Vade and they wanted to start a hardcore band. And I was their friend that was kind of always tagging along and I could play. Right. And so I was like, I'll play the bass. And then eventually before we, we made some seven inches and then before we made our first album, we wanted to have two guitars. And so I moved to second guitar and Morgan started playing the bass. And then during the writing of that album, we like parted ways with Devin, our guitar player. So then I was just the solo guitar player. You were the guy. Yeah. I played that guitar pretty much that whole time. I did eventually buy a 79 all black SG from a friend of mine. And that became my main guitar. Like probably by the time we recorded this adultery is ripe and through March on electric children and Right. And all that. So, yeah, there's something about those late 70s model Gibsons, the Norlin era, so to speak. But I have a 76 SG and the neck is super crazy thin. And I just love it because I have those little small hands. Yeah, I'm definitely a member of the guitar playing small hands club. I've heard you talk about it before. And yeah, <laughs> I was laughing because because I, I, I never realized I don't play a lot or I didn't historically play a lot of bar chords and it kind of like people would ask me like, why don't you play bar chords or power chords? And I, I didn't really know because I think I was just always attracted to angular guitar playing and, you know, the Jehu and, and Rye Coalition and, and that kind of thing and the San Diego hardcore scene. Right. But I also realized much later in life when I was playing in Jaguar Love with Jay Clark that was in Pretty Girls Make Graves. He was a guitar player and he's in a phenomenal musician. He was playing drums in the band. But one time we were playing guitar together and I was watching him and I was I just looked at his hand and he was doing a bar chord and it was so clean. And I was like, wait, how do you your whole hand, your your whole hand fits over the guitar? Like, right. what the hell? Like, I can't reach anything. And so I've, what I realized is that guitar playing is actually kind of hard for me, even though it's very intuitive and I had to work really hard to get good at it. Uh, but these little hands make it hard to reach things. And it really does, you know, <laughs> do certain so things. My, my guitar partner, my guitar partner in Rise Against, Tim McElrath, uh -huh. he can, you know, fret notes with his thumb. Yeah. Wherever on the neck. Because, you know, people can usually do it like sort of in the first position, but he'll do it everywhere. And I'm like, he could do it everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so if he writes a, <laughs> a riff with that, you know, thumb note over there, 
I'm like, dude, I got to figure out a different way to do that because I just can't. I don't have that sort of. It's physically impossible for me to reach what you're doing. <laughs> I don't have that kind of thunder. Um, Blood Brothers. So did you pretty much just were you that SG pretty much throughout that entire band? No, I um for those records when we when we did Burn Piano Island Burn with Ross Robinson it sort of changed a lot of things for us as musicians and just our reach because we were we were a hobby band we were not trying to have a career or anything of like that it still kind of blows my mind that that band was given some of the opportunities that we got just based on the way that it sounded and um but we went to True Tone in Santa Monica do you know that spot uh, yeah, yeah, I think I do. Actually. It's a vintage guitar shop in Santa Monica. And we recorded Burn Piano Island Burn in Santa Monica, basically right on the water. And I remember Ross taking us to that store and just basically gave us like a blank check. Wow. Dude, we spent money. I bought, I know like the craziest thing that I bought was a 56 TV yellow special. Jesus God. Yeah, I bought a I bought a, a Brian May guitar just because I thought it looked cool. And I was like, that might be fun. Um, I bought the Rickenbacker that I play now, the 360 Rickenbacker. I bought my orange amps. I'd never played through orange before. So I, I just thought they looked cool. I was like, I, I want to play orange. Like a lot of people in punk rock weren't playing them probably because they were hard to find. And I think they maybe had just started reissuing them. And we bought every single guitar pedal in the store. I, I think our tab was probably 20 or 30 grand. And we walked out of there. Jesus God. We went into the studio with just all this new gear and just started playing everything. We brought our guitars, obviously, but it was a wild experience. I ended up feeling pretty guilty and I remember returning the special and the Brian May guitar because we weren't really using them on the record. It just wasn't. And so I was just, I wish that I hadn't, you know, fast forward. But <laughs> so the the Rickenbacker 360 to what you had been playing, you know, immediately differences in pickups, differences in, you know, your Rickenbacker 360 semi-hollow yeah. versus solid. So tell me a little bit about how did, did that inform your playing much or did it? open up new doors or new avenues creatively. You know, it's funny. The Rickenbacker wasn't really a guitar that I played that much. I think I had also, I don't know if it was at that time or later, I had a 12 string 330 that, you know, I'd played a few Blood Brothers songs on, but Rickenbacker was not my main guitar for a long time. That became my main guitar because in, I think 2006, we had just finished recording Young Machetes and all of our gear was in our trailer parked in front of our drummer's house because it was the weekend that Murder City Devils got back together and they were playing the Capitol Hill block party, but then they were also playing like an unannounced showbox show like that Sunday. So they were playing Saturday night at the block party and then Sunday they were, and we were going to play. So it was unannounced. So we, we rehearsed at Mark, our drummer's house and, not a big deal. He lived like on a cul-de-sac in Seattle, but, and then we loaded everything into our trailer. We went to the block party. We went and watched Murder City Devils. And then Mark went home and texted everyone and was like, did somebody come pick up the van? Oof. No one had. And it turned out someone had stolen the van, driven it around, like just down the block and into this parking lot, ripped into our trailer with a tire iron that was in the back and funneled out our guitars. And I'm telling you, we had every guitar I owned at that time. Morgan's basses were in there. 
Oh, man. I, I was trying to remember. I actually reached out to those guys today to see if anyone had the list of everything that was stolen. It was so long ago. No one does. But because I wanted to tell you because some of the guitars that were stolen were is very sad. But basically, they, Ugh. yeah, everything got stolen. It just sucks. Yeah. And my Rickenbacker, circling back to how that became my guitar, is my brother Sonny was borrowing it. So, oh so you just so, happen to not oh wow so, yeah so so i had i had that guitar that just kind of like it was now like the guitar that i had um and i think aaron sprinkle in his studio in seattle he had like a les paul deluxe that i had like an 80 les paul deluxe so i had two guitars then um and oh, fuck yeah it was brutal i lost a, a like a 90s thin line guitar which was my first guitar that like sort of nicer guitar that I bought that I played in Waxwing a lot, but there was a 65 Cherry SG that was oh. stolen. I think I had a 64, 65 Mustang, an 80s Flying V, the Rickenbacker 12 string, and actually one of my favorite guitars that I was playing a lot at the time was a a Wayne's World Edition Squire Stratocaster <laughs> that like my That's friend awesome. had. Yeah, my friend had in his just in a closet in his studio. And I had met Nick Zinner and kind of gotten really influenced by him. And he played a Strat. And so I was like, I'm going to try playing a Strat. And yeah. my friend gave me that guitar. And it just, it was awesome. I played it all over Young Machetes. Like, it actually was a very, very good, I don't know what they did. They decided to make one really, really nice one. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, Man, that breaks my heart. I always hated hearing any band, no matter what the band was, that happened to. There was a big sting in Houston. I remember, in speaking of Houston, mm -hmm. a lot of bands were getting their trailers stolen in Houston, and it ended up being one, like... It was a ring. Yeah, and they, and they eventually got busted, but so many bands got their shit ripped off in Houston for a long time. And I just remember hearing about it always broke your heart. I always think about when uh, Sonic Youth had, like, their... Their truck. I was in Seattle. Yeah, their whole truck stolen. Yep. Oh my god! And then you know, how do you they get have... a how do you get a semi stolen? I mean, I think that's quite possibly the most heartbreaking story of of guitars stolen of all time. It must be because of the tunings and yeah, and the vintage Jaguars and Jazzmasters and just so and, and they're one of those bands. Like, I mean, Jesus, you don't bounce back from that very easily with them because there's so many, you know. But anyway, um, yeah. So uh, speaking of Nick Zinner, you ended up in Headwind City with Nick Zinner, who is just a phenomenal, influential, amazing. Uh, what a above all else, just creative and interesting player. You know, it's I would really love to talk to him as well because because that's exactly why I wanted to start doing this podcast is you know picking people's brains that. I don't feel like they got their brains picked enough, you know. Like, what made you do this? So, how did that relationship happen with him, and how did that band happen? Yeah, so. I remember when the Yeah Yeah Yeahs kind of first broke, they were everywhere. Yeah. They were one of those bands that they're on every magazine and I hadn't heard them yet. And I do remember being a little bit like, what's up with this band? You know, like, I don't, why is this being pushed on me? And we were on tour with Pretty Girls Make Graves in Europe. And there was one show where we were opening up for the Yeah Yeah Yeahs in Berlin. And I remember Nathan, the guitar player, also another phenomenal guitar player uh, in Pretty Girls telling me, he's like, this band is amazing. Like you're going to love them. And so I was excited. I was like, great, this will be really cool. They're everywhere. It'll be a fun opportunity to play with them. It was a, one of the bigger shows of the tour that we were all doing. And I remember getting off of our tour bus and Nick was actually, he was standing right there and he was waiting, not like waiting for us, but I think maybe he saw our bus pull up. So he came up to like greet us and, and say hello. We just immediately became pals and I was, I was blown away by their show and, 
we traded emails and I, I remember I got home from that tour and I just emailed him. I was like, Hey man, it was so cool. It's great to meet you. Like, let's stay in touch. And he wrote back right away. And then we, we did, um, and just became friends. And wow. A few years later, the Blood Brothers played a show with the Yaz in London. There were two shows that we did with them. It was Yaz and the Unicorns. And I remember Jordan and Nick and I were just getting wasted together and talking about having a thrash band. And we just had the idea to have JP and Gabe from Locust and see if they were interested. So we called them, like we we put them on speaker and we're like, we want to start a band. Let's do it. And Nick had the name Headwound City from when he was a teenager. He always wanted to have a punk band called Headwound City. And so that was, that was pretty much how the band was birthed. And then we figured out a week to go to San Diego and we wrote that first little EP. We wrote and recorded it in, in a week. Um, and I remember being really excited to play guitar with him. Well, that's such a cool thing. And that's what makes this all so special is that we do meet a lot of people that we admire. And Mm -hmm. because we're all musicians, we have that shared sort of history and the shared, you know, uh, we all speak the same language kind of, you know, you can just go, let's start a band. And it's still that sort of adolescence, you know, that when you, when you first did start bands and you were 14 or whatever, and you're in a garage, you go, I got this riff. What do you have? That spirit still lives on no matter how old you are, you know? Yeah. That's one of the things I love about this so much. So Headwound City, did you guys get to tour very much or work that very much? Not a lot. Uh, We, and just to one like little cool, fun gear fact about that band. Uh, I remember Nick showing up to the first rehearsal and he had the original Pog and he was like, yeah, Electro Harmonics gave me this pedal to demo. It's not out yet. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like, I, I, you know, I, I always like thought it was super cool. Like, I think that that was one of the first recordings in punk rock that that sound was on, which was always kind of fun. But we made that record. We played one show in San Diego. And then fast forward, we made a record with Vice. We did the record with Ross Robinson. We did one tour opening up for Savages. And that was pretty much it. We did. We really didn't do a, a bunch. It was never meant to be a band. We were just fitting it in where we could. I've YouTubed that footage and stuff, and it's just amazing. So if anybody's listening, you should definitely look that up. It's great stuff. So real quick, you know, we've already talked about your bands and things. Who were your guys? Who were your influences starting out or even to this day? Guys that that made you want to play guitar? Yeah, obviously, Jehu, Fugazi. Jawbreaker, all that stuff. Those were my main influences. Swing Kids, all that San Diego hardcore, uh, which is kind of funny because in my older age, it, it's not so much. But in my formative years, I, I really got obsessed with with all of that angular, fucked up, chaotic stuff. Yeah. Even Dan Gallucci, who you had on the show, his bands were a mega influence on us. Uh, when we found them, we were just... It, blew our minds and we saw one of the first murder city devil shows and it kind of changed everything for us yeah because then we we dug deeper and found out about death wish kids and area 51 and that's why we had two singers in our band because we we knew you could do that and <laughs> what a great player he was he is oh you know? he's amazing and just such a great guy too oh, fully I never met him before and we just fully hit it off. But, you know, speaking of San Diego and Jehu, I, I'm such a huge John Reese fan and anything he does. And I was also a huge Rob Crow fan. And so I loved, you know, Thingy and I loved uh, you know, Pinback and all that stuff. And that they have plosives now. And that band is awesome. It's amazing. It's so good. It's so good. 
Well, so speaking of what you are doing right now, so you're doing J.R. Slayer and what's what's informed that? Was it a concerted effort to get away from loud, aggressive music or, or what, what happened? No, really, J.R. Slayer just kind of, because for many years I... I sort of, I kind of stepped away from being a touring musician and a very active musician. I did some tour managing. I've been working in reality television the last three years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've been working on The Bachelor wow. up until recently. Yeah, so that whole franchise. And I was, I, I tour managed at the drive-in and King Cruel for a couple of years. Uh, that sort of, I cut my teeth getting to learn production in that way and then yeah. JR Slayer was just I had all these songs and this music and I I knew that you know you mentioned those early days where creating music was really pure and for lack of a better term organic but I I really wanted to have a place to make art that didn't need any kind of pageantry or have any monetary gain in mind about it. Yeah. And I had tons of music and a friend of mine was just like you need to play a show or start doing this it's really cool and so i just came up with the moniker jr slayer and i was like i'll just call it this and it'll be everything that i do musically and so i just sort of started doing that it wasn't really intentional there were a few years in seattle before i moved to los angeles where i was working as a engineer for pat monahan who is the singer of the band train yeah yeah he needed someone to help him just kind of record demos and things like that. And my name got thrown in a hat. We met and it was a very weird for me. I was broke at the time. It was awesome. I was like, cool. Like I'd sort of taught myself engineering and yeah and stuff like that. So I just went and started working with him and I learned a lot about songwriting with him and I got the opportunity to record. And then there was tons of free time in his studio where I just started like writing songs and making music. And eventually I had an album and and then I just, you know, I had so many songs that I was writing on guitar. I was always the guitar player in a band. I was never a singer. So, I, you know, I've never fronted a band. I, I've sure. always just been the support. And um, it was something that I always wanted to do. But, you know, when your brother's Rocky Votolato, it, it's a little intimidating to try to write a lyric or, or sing. For sure. Because <laughs> he's, he's so good. And so I think I was always a little bit, like, sheepish about that kind of stuff and didn't really want to put it out there until... I started doing JR Slayer and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start recording these songs myself and, and putting them out there because I, I do have a lot of music I I'm making and I I'd like to share it. And right. with nothing more in mind than just that, I was just recording songs and going on TuneCore and, you know, making my own artwork. And it was really just a, a creative space. And I always loved Elliot Smith and, really classic country music and folk music. So that part of me is, even though the Blood Brothers was like my prominent sort of, this is what you might know me as a musician, like all of that, like country and folk and emo and all that stuff was so important to me and informed a lot of what I did musically. And so then I wanted to learn how to craft a song and get better at it. And so that's kind of what led me to it compel the listener and in a different way you know and yeah yeah so has that informed i mean needless to say i would imagine mm-hmm. the shift in music musical tone and 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 style how has that informed your guitar gear choices mm. much less your guitar playing right i mean honestly after everything got stolen in the blood brothers all that stuff i i kind of made a vow not to get too much gear ever again 
That's smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I, I immediately, I took my insurance money and I, I bought some stuff. I bought a, I think it was a 65 SG Junior. It was all white. It was beautiful. And I did a short stint in Cold Cave playing guitar. I did a tour with Cold Cave. And I we, saw that and I knew, th- I know those guys. And yeah. I, I, I know Wes and I, you know, uh, my buddy Hunter from AFI played bass in Cold yep, Cave for a it bit. Was, and- it was the same time. Um, oh, geez. Okay. London May. Yep. London and Hunter and, and Jesse Nelson that was in Head Automatica. We did one tour playing with Wes. It was amazing. The band was so good. But the beginning of that tour, our van and trailer had gotten parked by just on the street in Brooklyn and someone broke in and they stole Hunter's God damn. Hunter's custom bass and London symbols and my SG. <laughs> so, oh, Cody. Yeah, I know. And then so I remember Fender was cool and they they actually uh I got one of the Johnny Marr guitars. Oh, that's rad. Which I know you and Dan talked about quite a bit. Um oh, yeah. so I got I got one of those to I mean it didn't you can't replace a sixty five SG no. Junior, but uh it was really cool and and but fast forward, in order to move to LA, I, I, like I said, I was broke. So I had to sell that guitar in order to have the money to get to LA. So I didn't even have the, the Johnny Marr guitar anymore. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think it's kind of cool to also limit yourself gear wise and to force yourself creatively to work within those confines. And I think case in point is somebody like Tom Morello. He bought the gear he plays now, this pedal board, that Marshall head, that cabinet, and that guitar, the Arm the Homeless guitar, and, you know, reinvented guitar playing in the 90s was the 90s Eddie Van Halen with that gear that he still plays. He just hit a, a wall. It's like, I'm not buying any more gear. I'm going to make everything happen with this. And I think that's so amazing. I respect that so much. So yeah. I think through fate sort of forced your hand on that you know as far as like i didn't i didn't have much choice i was like this is what i have and i'm not going to probably invest a lot more but yeah so the the rickenbacker became my good like just my main guitar and though it wasn't it wasn't my main guitar at all in the blood brothers when the blood brothers split up it's kind of all i had i had that in the jr and i just i just really connected with it and yeah i also like the idea of playing rock and roll and, and hardcore on a Rickenbacker. I, mean, I think it's great. He did it. Um, the dude from Converge, when I saw he was playing a Rickenbacker, I was like, that's pretty cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm in. I recorded a hardcore record with a Rickenbacker with uh, Walter Schreifels. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I, I, it was there at the studio as a friend of mine produced it. He had it. I was like, I'm using that. And it was so cool. Those Filtertron pickups and, you know, it's like mm-hmm. such a different thing of different. And like I was saying, it informs you differently. Yeah than a humbucker you know a humbucker is so safe as far as i'm concerned you know there's a bed it's forgiving you take a single coil or a p90 or a filtertron or something like you know you're gonna hear those mistakes man you know i love high gain so much it's it's our friend <laughs> oh it's such our friend it's glue it yeah. glues those you know what i mean it's so forgiving but when you you clean up your amp and you play a guitar without a humbucker pickup, man. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. woo, you you better you better watch your p's and q's, man, because yeah. it's everyone's gonna hear it. Um, are you still using orange amps? Yeah, so sort of uh, for many years, and actually Nick Zinner was a component about this. But I, because I was playing, I was using two orange half stacks in the Blood Brothers, like eighty one forties. Uh, and when I saw he was playing combos, I was like, hmm, maybe I'll like get into the combo world. So I started yeah. playing like a Fender and a, a Dr. Z, which also got stolen in that 
that trip. Oh, shit. <laughs> but, God yeah, damn. Yeah. But in, in Headwind City on the last tours, Orange gave me a one of their like newer combos, like the like okay. one of the crushers. It's like the black one. So I've been playing through that and my Fender Deluxe, but I, I still have one of my guitar cabs, my orange cabs from back in the day. And I just was like, let me try plugging this Fender combo amp into the cab. And so right now I'm ABYing the the Fender goes into the orange cab. And then I have the the orange two by twelve, and it's rad. it's pretty rad with my Rickenbacker. And I I don't use a lot of pedals. The volume pedal has been like my best friend on guitar since sure. since I've started playing. I've gone through plenty of those. Uh, and then I don't use a lot of distortion. Okay. DD three. I have the same DD three delay pedal that I've had for many many years with just a short delay on it. Yeah. And like one sort of like big muff pedal. And that's kind of all I, I use right now. With the DD3, is that just an effect or do you kind of keep it on as sort of a... It's an effect. It's just like for when I'm like making noise or something like that and want to get exciting. <laughs> well, I, I love that. Yeah, it's simple. And Are you just one guitar? Yeah, right now, one guitar. And, you know, which kind of like at first I was, I wanted to have a second guitar because there is a lot of guitar on my record. And trying to figure out how I'm going to do that live. And what I, what I realized is like, I was the only guitar player in lots of bands, so I could figure this out. So for sure right now I just, and I figured like, I'll just do the eight, like two amps and I'll kind of pick and choose and where I'm doing the leads and, you know, we'll have some, some synthesizer that can sort of pick up some of the lead guitar stuff that maybe I can't do while I'm singing or, you know, really I'm in the formative stages of the live band and figuring it out. Right. So wait, same question, different context. Are yeah. you one guitar like owner or do you have a backup to the rig? Oh, I have a Gretsch hollow body that, that Keely from at the drive-in gave to me as a gift. Is it like a country gentleman or is it a, is it? No, it's the shoot. I don't even know the model, but it's, it's really pretty. It's red. It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. So you're into a hollow body kind of thing right now, right? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it works. And I would imagine those, you know, those Gretsch, actually Gretsch are the Filtertron pickups uh, with the Rickenbackers. Yeah, it's like a mixture of a P90 slash single mm-hmm. cool slash. I imagine those work pretty well as far as, you know, being able to, you know, not be too far off the mark when you switch guitars if you break a string or something. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. I mean, I love that. And I think what people are going to pull away from this podcast is watch your shit, you know, don't get your shit stolen. <laughs> yeah. And, you, you know, like I, I was thinking about the the gear that I'm using right now and sort of the, the combo amp plugged into the guitar cabinet wasn't something I ever really thought about. Actually, Will Yip introduced me to that concept because when we recorded the record, I was playing through, I think it's a twin reverb through a Marshall slant. And with just like a, I think a full tone distortion with a little rat on it. And that's pretty much all the guitars on it is pretty straightforward. Not, you know, maybe we threw in some reverb and, but my Rickenbacker is every guitar on it for the most part, aside from the acoustic guitar. But I love Will Yip's work. Oh my God. He's amazing. Yeah. I love the last ceremony record that he did. I love what he's done with quicksand. Uh, I just love that guy's stuff. I don't know him, but I've, I'm a huge fan of the stuff he does. So he did the J.R. Slayer record. Yeah, he produced the record. It's on his label, Memory Music. And 
Yeah, really random. He just yeah. he's friends with our bass player Jason Klein, which I don't know if you know him. He works at Fender. I know Jason Klein. Jason, no kidding. Yeah, Jason's the bass player in the band. Oh well, sh- what a great guy. I love Jason Klein. He's the best, and and we were roommates at the time. And he just sent some of the music that my early stuff to Will, and Will was immediately like, "What is this? I I really like this." And wow, we spent like months and months trying to going back and forth about trying to find a time to work on something and. It took us a couple years to make this EP, but we did it. Well, uh, tell Will Yip I'm a fan of his stuff. I will, 100%. Yeah. Uh, I, won't keep, I won't keep you too much longer. Um, it's funny. I always ask, you know, is there one that got away, like a piece of gear or something that you lost or got stolen? But the whole theme of this has been getting shit stolen. So I think you have – it's great. We've make, kind of made a po- – it's unfortunate, and I feel terrible for you. I know. But there's been so many that have gotten away with you, Cody. I mean – I know. It's it's a travesty. Yeah. If I had to pick one – Yeah, what's the biggest one? What's the one? I think the one – okay, this is sort of a two-parter because – the one that was probably the most sentimental to me was probably my Thin Line Tully, which wasn't even gotcha. an expensive or nice guitar, really. It just was it was the guitar like I came up with. Um, but really... Was it Japanese, those Japanese reissues they did? Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. Those 90s era. I had one of those too. They were great. Yeah. And But honestly, the guitar I kind of wish that I did have was the Wayne's World Strat. Now you say that, did it say Wayne's World? On, I don't, it I'm did. not familiar. So, so okay. you know, in the movie, there's like the Stratocaster. There's like the white on white Strat. Yes, yeah. It's, it's that guitar. So it's just looks like a Squire guitar, but on the back, the plate that you bolt on the neck, there's the Wayne's World emblem. No shit. I have to yeah, look that up. It's, it's so cool. And it's funny because um, Jesse from Death From Above, he knew that story and he, he hit me up and he was like, dude, I have one of those guitars. And <laughs> I was like, no way. I was like, how do I get it from you? And he was like, introduce me to Jason Klein. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Did you get it? I did. He sent it to me. He had, he had his guitar tech like set it up and he mailed it to me. So do you have it? I do have it. Oh, that's great. I love that. I still have it. it but unfortunately, it's, it's not as nice as the one that I had. Something about that closet one just. Was it Squire? It was a Squire? It's Squire, yeah. Wow. There's just some of those guitars. There's like magic to one of them. And God damn it. If the, every other one you try, yeah. it's just not, yeah, it's not there. I also feel really bad about the 65 cherry SG that was lost because I actually gifted that, that guitar to Rocky. Oh, and I borrowed it back to play it on the record. And so he, he kind of got screwed too. Cause he, he, he had gotten pretty attached to it. So God damn <laughs> maybe it. if I could get one back, I'd get that one back so I could give it to so him. So wait, let's retrace this though. You, the guitar you still have that is now like informed, you know, it's like the one that you've have a relationship with Rocky had your older brother had borrowed that one. And so it didn't get stolen. It didn't. But yeah. then Rocky was borrowing your SG and he got it stolen? No, no. I had given the SG to Rocky. Oh, you given like, it to Rocky. Yeah, yes. I, I, I gifted and it to him. And then you borrowed it. You borrowed it back. <laughs> I borrowed it to play it on Young Machete. So it was just with our gear in the trailer and then it got stolen. Holy shit. Well. It's always been kind of hard for him, I think. So. <laughs> damn, Cody. <laughs> yeah. Don't let Cody Vitalato borrow your gear, folks. I know. I honestly, <laughs> if I if I ever lost my Rick and Bob, because it's it's truly kind of become my second skin yeah in that way that probably none of my other guitars were um yeah. so 
I'd be pretty heartbroken. To turn it positive, maybe the universe yeah. informed that. You know, maybe the universe was like, yeah. no, this, this is your guitar, rock, uh, Cody. You, This is the one you need to play. I think so. And it helped me learn to not be too attached to items. And I mean, that's true too, man. You know, I learned it's just stuff pretty quickly. <laughs> it is just stuff. And yes, you can grow sentimentally attached and you're growing sentimentally attached to stuff. And right. it's not about the stuff. It's about the guy doing it. And it's like, that's actually a question I was going to talk to you about. And we just answered that. Sometimes it's like, is it the gear? Or is it the player? It's always the player. Always. Yeah. It's the fingers. You could put Angus Young on that Wayne's world Squire Stratocaster and he's going to sound like, you know, like Angus Young. Yeah. Which I think is really something that's really cool about the guitar. Um, Absolutely. I guess most instruments um, aside from electronic ones, for the most part, um, only you can, get that certain feel or I agree or sound out of out of a stringed instrument or or a piano or something. I agree. I agree. Well, I think that's the good way to to leave it there, man. Cool, man. <laughs> so everybody, you know, so you're doing Jared Slayer now, you're going to be you're going to be touring that? Not heavily right now just because I'm trying to figure out other things to to do and curate cuz touring's not off the table. It's just I'm trying to do curated stuff and and things of that nature. So Awesome. Well, the record's great and the stuff is great. Thanks, and I, yeah, it's everybody go out and, and get that. And uh, Cody, man, thank you so much for uh, for doing this. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon and good luck with Jared Slayer. Right on. Thank you. I made a new friend. You heard it. I think you like me. Don't you? Uh, yeah, go out and buy his record, man. J.R. Slayer. Listen to his stuff. Listen to anything he's done because he's a very interesting musician, a very interesting guitar player. And, uh, you know, I'm going to say once more, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for turning in. I'm going to keep doing these. I've said that a thousand times. I'm going to keep doing it, folks. So I just appreciate that you're here and that I'm not just talking to myself. Uh, you know, at the end here, I'm going to thank the folks at MXR and Jim Dunlop for supporting us. For sponsoring us for being our partners in crime we love them and i'm sure you do too but if you aren't familiar go to jimdunlop.com and pick up some of their wonderful products learn about what they're doing i'm going to leave you guys with some examples of cody's wonderful guitar playing uh check out the jr slayer record uh, there's going to be a song called not rotten where he is sort of playing the rhythm as well as the lead line at the same time. And uh, it's really impressive. And if you want to go a little further and get into his sort of hardcore uh, music and his wonderful guitar playing with that, check out the Blood Brothers song, uh, USA Nails. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you.